Father, that is our desire, that uh, we would be used by you, that uh, we would allow you, uh, through your Son, to bring about those things which glorify yourself, which exalt you. Father, we thank you for this time now that we are able to look into your word, and I pray that you'd prepare our hearts to uh, receive and then understand what you intended in your word, and that we would respond and obey your word by your power and strength. We ask you to bless your word as it goes out. We pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, what are your Sundays like, or what are your Wednesday nights like after the Bible study or after the sermon? Um, what is it like uh, when you hear the message, when you leave here, what, what happens in your life? Uh, does the word work in your life throughout the week? Does, the, does God use his word in your life, or do you just walk away and go on your own way? You know, there's a lot of uh, people who come to this church on Sundays and hear the message and walk out and never are changed past that point. Uh, we saw in James chapter 1 earlier that there are those who are simply hearers of the word rather than doers. And we see even later on in that same chapter that their religious is worthless, their religion. But we're going to see today that uh, apart from those who don't know Christ and cannot respond until they come to faith in Jesus Christ, that believers can fall back into patterns in which we've been. Before we came to Christ, we can fall into sin. And uh, sometimes we get to the point where we need to be spiritually restored. And what do I mean by that? Our lives have gotten to the point where God needs to do some major work on us. And we know he's working on us in general, sanctifying us. And we know we as his children are being disciplined if we're truly his. But sometimes we need to be restored. And how does God do that? How does he do that? Well, we're going to see today the word at work in our hearts will produce obedience. We are in Nehemiah, and if you turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8, we've been going through the book of Nehemiah, and it's been a real blessed uh, time together. I hope you've been blessed by it. And let me share a little bit of the context. It won't be as as deep as it uh, was earlier. You can get those recordings, but... uh, the first uh, seven chapters, the first seven chapters, really speak of uh, the rebuilding of the walls and the gates, the physical rebuilding. And we see within that, uh, those first six chapters, the great opposition that they faced and how uh, through faith in the Lord and trusting in him, they overcame that opposition. And it came in many different forms, and we looked at that. And as we came to chapter 7 of Nehemiah, this is where the book takes a turn. You see, the first uh, portion is about the rebuilding of the walls, and the second portion is about the rebuilding of the people, as we're going to see. Now, within that, uh, we saw back in chapter 7 that Jerusalem was large and spacious, but there was very few houses built and not many people in there. And Nehemiah then takes a genealogy. He's going to look at who's there. And within that, we see that it is his intent to bring and cause the people to desire to populate the city in which the walls and the gates have been rebuilt. Indeed, in Nehemiah chapter 11, I'll read this for you, verse 1. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, but the rest of the people cast lots to bring out one in ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine-tenths remained in the cities. After that, you would think chapter 7 happens, and then we'll have chapter 11. It seems to flow like that. Nehemiah is focused on the city that is empty, and then that is resolved in chapter 11. 
But the reality is there are some issues that need to be dealt with in chapters 8 through 10, and that is where the people's hearts are at. Indeed, in chapter 8, we saw that restoration begin, and we saw that God restores the spiritually broken down walls of our lives, the doors that are burned. He does it through his word in the heart of those who are receptive. And we saw that they had a desire to hear God's word. They called for Ezra to teach them. And they approached the word with the right heart. They were respectful. They were attentive. They listened and they had their hearts prepared in reverence for the Lord. And then we saw, after Ezra read, that the Levites read the word and explained to the people. And they did so distinctly declaring in a stinging fashion to put wisdom in those who would hear with the ultimate goal that they would understand. And the people did understand and they were convicted and they were mourning. And we see today they're mourning over their sin. The word caused conviction, and yet that conviction should turn to joy, joy of being forgiven. You see, we can become very self-focused when we're convicted, uh, and we need to, yes, mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, right? We see that, and there needs to be a broken heart. There needs to be a godly sorrow which produces repentance. But from that, it should move into joy for that forgiveness that God has brought forth. And they told them that they needed to be joyful, that the joy of the Lord is their strength or their stronghold, a very very uh, uh, familiar verse. And so we see that they were convicted, and they were convicted very specifically concerning the words that had been made known to them, made known to them. And that leads us to where we're at today in chapter 8, where we're going to look at Nehemiah verse, chapter 8, verses 13 to 18. And so I've given you an outline. Feel free to take notes or follow along with that or just to look at the scriptures. Or, and I'm going to read a lot of scriptures. Feel free to look them up. But also, you feel free to write down the verse notes and just uh, uh, take a look at them later to see and make sure that what I'm saying is, 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 is right in line with the Word of God. So let me read uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 13 to 18, and we're going to see the word at work in the prepared heart. We're going to see that. Verse 13, Then on the second day, the heads of the father's households and all the, of all the people, the priests and the Levites, were gathered to Ezra the scribe that they might gain insight into the words of the law. And they found written in the law how the Lord commanded them through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. So they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the hills and bring olive branches and wild olive branches and myrtle branches, palm branches and branches of other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his own roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square of the water gate and in the square of the gate of Ephraim. And the entire assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in them. The sons of Israel had indeed not done so since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day. And there were great, there was great rejoicing. And he read from the book of the law of God daily, from the first day to the last. And they celebrated the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. And so we see here a portion where God has turned to the spiritual rebuilding of the people. 
And you might remember, and I'm going to review a little bit of the beginning of the chapter, uh, that uh, the first step in allowing God to work on you is to have a desire for the Word of God. Notice back in verse 1, and we'll review these verses uh, briefly, and the people gathered as one man at the square, which is in the front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given Israel. And so we have the people asking Ezra to bring the book of the law. Uh, that's the Lord, which the Lord had given Moses, had given them. And so we see they wanted to hear the word of God. We've seen that uh, the Lord was working on them during the rebuilding of the walls, and it's only been just a couple days since the walls were completed. It was 52 days, and now it is the first day of the seventh month. It would be the time when they would have the, the Feast of Trumpets, but I don't see them doing that yet. We're going to see in our passage that they actually get convicted about a feast which would start later on on the 15th, and they go ahead and go uh, do that, and they make a proclamation. So they call for Ezra the scribe, and the first step is to desire God's word. We know from 1 Peter chapter 2 that we're to put aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and all envy and slander. And like newborn babes, we are to long for the pure milk of the word that by it we may grow in respect to salvation. If you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. We should be those who have a yearning like a, like a healthy child for milk. We should have a yearning for the word of God. Not that we have baby uh, sermons every week, not that we have milk every week. We see in Hebrews chapter 5 that we should be maturing, but we're longing like a child, like, a, like an infant, a healthy infant desires milk. We know from Psalm 1 that the blessed man meditates in the word day and night. Meditates, it's his, it's his delight. And so the first step they had was they desired to hear the word. So they called Ezra. Now, you might remember who this Ezra person is. Uh, first of all, he was a priest. We see that verse 2. He was also a scribe in verse 1. And Ezra was learned in the word of God. And I've talked about scribes before. You can look back at that. Now, if you'll remember back from Ezra chapter 7, we see some seven, some 14 years earlier that Ezra was a scribe and a priest. He had been granted permission to leave Babylon by the king of Persia, and he had brought uh, 2,000 men and their families to Jerusalem along with the treasures of the temple, uh, from, uh, and King Artaxerxes had allowed him to do so. And he had given him the authority to establish God's law within the Jewish community in that province of Persia, in a sense, under their control. And Ezra was the Lord's man. You can read this in chapter 7. He was the Lord's man. He made it because God's good hand was upon him. And we see even in that portion, I'll read this for you, in Ezra 7, verse 9, For from the first of the month he be began to go up from Babylon, and the first of the fifth of the month he came to Jerusalem, because the good hand of God was upon him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to practice it, it means to do it, and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. He had, he had set his heart to study God's word, to obey it, and then to teach it to Israel. And God's good hand was upon him, and he arrived safely. But it's been 14 years, and not much has happened spiritually with the people. It doesn't appear that they seemingly desired to hear much of the word, and now they're calling for Ezra to read the word. And this is where... Restoration begins. We need to have a desire for the Word of God. 
you look in uh, Proverbs chapter 1, you see that we should desire it, his truth, his, his wisdom from his word, more than gold or silver. It's more valuable. Uh, it's so important because that is how we live. As the Lord said in quoting uh, Deuteronomy, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so if your life is in a shambles, if your spiritual house is broken down, the doors are wide open and burned up, and you recognize it, confess your sin. But confessing your sin is is the first step. You need to turn and have a desire to be in God's word because God uses his word to rebuild us. And then we saw also that we need to come with a with a right heart, a right attitude. And notice in verse 2, Then Ezra the priest brought the law of the Lord before the assembly of men and women, all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. It was everyone who could understand. They had the capability of listening with understanding. Now certainly people have hard hearts and soft hearts. We saw that. Um, but all who could had the capability to do so. And so God restores us spiritually through a desire, first of all, for his word. And notice they sought out teachers who were God's teachers who would teach them God's word. The Apostle Paul would share in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that God has put first in the church apostles, then prophets, then teachers. Well, we know the foundation of the church was built on the apostles and prophets, Christ being the cornerstone. And now he uses teachers, those who equip the saints for the works of service, for the building up of the body of Christ until the unity of the faith. And we see uh, knowledge of the Son of Man. So we have uh, teachers that God brings forth and gifts. Now, they're not from their own abilities. It's God who gifts them and gives them that gift to share his word. And they called for Ezra, who was God's teacher there who sought to teach them. But we're going to also see that the Levites were also those who taught Israel. We saw that last time. They were those who taught Israel, and God would use them also to explain the word of God. But before that, we saw a reverence, a reverence that's not in many churches these days. And and we can be irreverent uh, without even thinking about it at times. But notice so what happens uh, in verse th- verse 3. And, and by the way, verse uh, 3, um, or notice what happens in verse 3. And Ezra read, he read from before the square, which was in the front of the water gate, from early morning to midday, in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And I mentioned before as we studied this, and we're not going to go into it here, but verse 3 is a summary, really, of what we see in verses 4 through 6. Because we see Ezra read from morning till till midday. And then in verse 4 through 6, we see the demeanor, the response of the people when he actually opens up the scroll and when he gets ready to read. Look at verse 4. And Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium. That's where we get our ideas of pulpits. Some say it was a platform also. And uh, which they had made for that purpose. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. That's showing a reverence for God's word. We see that. They're standing up. It's a sign of respect and reverence. And we need to be attentive so, so much. We are so irreverent at times. This is a holy time when we gather together. Yes, there's all kinds of distractions. There's, you know, it's hot and there's heaters running and there's pipes everywhere, whatever it might be. But this is a holy time where we gather together to hear God's word. And we need to understand that when we come together. 
And so he did that. And then as they stood up, then verse six, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. We see him honoring God. It's the context, I believe, of prayer. We see him honoring the Lord, the great God, blessing him, speaking well of him. And all the people answered, amen, amen, while lifting their hands. You know, and it's my thought, historically speaking, they weren't going like this in God's face. They were, it's a sense of, 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 uh, of humility. And they lifted their hands. And we see that uh, after that. They didn't stay standing, by the way, because uh, they read from the morning till midday. They didn't stay standing. They actually, then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord. Notice this in this verse, end of verse 6, with their faces towards the ground. We see a humble uh, attitude, a humble heart coming to worship the Lord. Their hearts were prepared. And so often our hearts are not prepared when we come to hear the word of God. This is the word of God. It's not, not my opinion, you know. It's the word of God. When I read the scriptures, that is God's word. And so we need to uh, maybe in a sense raise our reverence for God and his word. Not that we worship his word. We worship the living God. But it is the word of the living God and we need to have a reverence for it also. And so then we see that these people who had been pretty sinful, uh, they had left Babylon. We didn't talk about this. I didn't give a full context, but they had left to come serve the Lord. But they really were caught up in all the issues with Persia being over them. And, and they were caught up with the, they were highly distressed uh, with the walls broken down, those things. And here the Lord is rebuilding them. And then in verse uh, 7, and I, I'll probably mess these names up, but uh, let me just read it quickly. And Joshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shatavaiah, Thiah, Ahodiah, Maasiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Pariah, and the Levites, notice this, this is important, explained the law to the people while the people remained in place. And we saw last time that those names were names of prominent Levites. And I'm not going to talk about the Levites this time. You can get the sermon from last time. But they were those who did the service for the Lord. Uh, They did the Lord's service. And they also, along with that, they taught the people. They taught the people. And they. so here we see very clearly what they did. And this gives us a great a picture on how we should be teaching and the teachers that we should be listening to. Uh, these Levites were the Lord's men and they brought forth God's word and they did it in a specific fashion. It says, um, they said, and they read from the book of the law of God, translating to give some the, to give the sense so that they understood the reading. And we talked about it that sometimes, the, like the NESB has made this translated this word, translating, um, because later on in chapter 13, it appears that some of the younger people didn't know the Hebrew language. So that's possible, but this word is most often translated differently. It's translated, uh, really, it means piercing or stinging, piercing or stinging, and it could speak of being directly declared. And I think that's a better translation. You might see that in your New King James also. And so you can see it this way. So I've translated verse 8 this way. And they read from the book of the law of God, distinctly declaring in a stinging fashion. Distinctly declaring in a stinging fashion. And here we see that there was a goal. To give the sense so that they might understand the reading. Or literally to put in 
uh, wisdom that they might gain understanding. That same word uh, uh, to give the sense, the sense is the same word translated back in Genesis chapter 3 where Eve desired uh, to be made wise, the same, the same word. And so they, 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 they read it in a stinging fashion to give the sense or to place the sense in them that they would have understanding. That's what I believe teaching is. That's what I believe we call it expository teaching. I don't see that in the, in the scriptures, but I see it being done. I see it being done here to give the sense so that they might have insight, uh, that they would understand the reading. And we notice down in verse 12, and the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions to, and to celebrate the great festival because they understood the words which had been made known to them. You see, God has his teachers to explain. That doesn't mean we don't go out and study the Bible ourselves. We obviously do. We, we want to meditate and we want to grow and we want to learn it. And the Spirit of God is ultimately our teacher. We see that in 1 John chapter 2. It's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God also does that through those who have certain spiritual gifts for the building up of the body of Christ for the works of service. And so these Levites were special. They were those who taught the people. And so then, notice the response, verse 9. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Now, some think that's referring to the Feast of Trumpets, which is possible, um, but I don't think they figured that out yet, because later on they're going to figure out reading about the Feast of uh, Abus. They haven't figured it out yet, and they're going to say, wow, we need to do this. So I just think it's holy unto the Lord because God's word was being made manifest, and they were responding. They were mourning over it. Notice that. Uh, it says, uh, Lord your God, middle of verse uh, verse 9, or verse uh, Verse 10 here, um, do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping uh, when they heard the words of the law, law. That's where our hearts need to be. You know, we mess up. I'm a sinner. Uh, I want to be uh, righteous. I mean, I'm righteous in position because of Jesus Christ. I have his righteousness, but I still think and do unrighteous things. I don't want to. I want to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to become more like him. And... and God's word should be causing us to be disturbed about our actions when we are not right. And they were mourning over it. And that's good. And I mentioned this earlier. The Lord Jesus would share in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We see also, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, yes, we fail and we grieve over this, but we don't want to stay focused on that. We, becomes, we become focused on ourselves. We, we recognize we are not there, but we will be satisfied. The Lord God is working on us, and we will be glorified. So they were mourning. They, were, uh, they had what I believe was a godly sorrow, a godly sorrow. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're studying 2 Corinthians on Wednesday nights. And we're not here yet. We're just in going into chapter 6, so we're getting close. But uh, as you know, the Apostle Paul has at odds with the Corinthians. The false teachers have uh, made a lot of slanderous accusations, and he appears to be defending himself, but he'll say that in the end of Second Corinthians, all this time you think I've been defending myself, but I've been speaking for your upbuilding. And within that, he talks about the reality of when they were made sorrowful, and he talks about two types of sorrow. 
Second Corinthians 7, verse 9. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, in order that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that's according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But, a, but the sorrow of the world produces death. When God, according to his will, in his word, by his spirit, convicts us and we're sorrowful, it produces repentance, and that word speaks of a change of mind. Now, if I truly change my mind about my behavior, there's going to be a change as I trust the Lord to allow him to live through me. There's going to be a change in my actions, too. There's going to be a turning. And so godly sorrow produces a repentance without a regret looking back. Now, sometimes we can get self-focused and we keep regretting, regretting, regretting. The Levites were saying, do not mourn. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's your, it upholds you. It upholds you. Yes, you're, you're, you've, you've sinned a lot. Yes, and, and you should be mourning, but allow God's joy to hold you up and strengthen you. And that's really what he's talking about. And so here we see their response. Now, in a quarterly fashion, sometimes people may get caught and they have a sorrow because they got caught or they have a sorrow because maybe they hurt somebody they loved or whatever it is. But that type of sorrow just leads to death. They have a sorrow like Esau because he didn't inherit the blessing. Uh, he sought it with tears, right? Um, but here we see a godly sorrow, and I believe these Jews had a godly sorrow, which turned and should turn to joy. And so with that, we see uh, that the joy of the Lord um, is our strength. It is what holds us up. It says, do not mourn. The joy of the Lord is your, is your strength. And then notice we see here um, in verse 12, and all the people... Uh, went or actually excuse me verse 11 so the levites calmed the people down saying be still for this day is holy do not be grieved god is setting you apart this is a holy day he's working on you he's addressing sin this is a holy day his word is working on you and so then he says do not be grieved and then look at verse 12 as we finish our long review here by the way um, and all the people went to eat to drink and to send portions and to celebrate the great festival um, now, they've translated it that way in the NESB. Other translations don't translate it that way. And the NESB gives you a note. They say, make a great rejoicing. Um, that's what it really is, I believe. And here's the reason why. Or, or let me ask you the question. Did they go do those things and, and rejoice because the Levites told them to? Because the joy is the Lord's strength? Did they do it because uh, they had to do it? Well, it says here why they did it. To make a great rejoicing, end of verse 12, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. There is great joy when you get it. When God has revealed sin, you get it. You've mourned over it. You know it's wrong. He's changing you. He's making you like his son, Jesus. There's a great joy when that happens. And there's a rejoicing. And we see that with these people. We see that with them. But as we're going to see also, not only... Um, does God, do we have to have a yearning for the word? And do we have to need to come to it rightly? And do we need to be convicted by it? There should be some fruit that comes from it. There should be some fruit that comes from it. And notice uh, we come to our passage now where we're going to see the religious leaders continue to study the word of God. They continue to study the word of God. 
Look at verse uh, 13. Then on the second day, the heads of the households of the people, the priests and all the Levites were gathered to Ezra, the scribe, that they might gain insight into the words of the law. And they found written in the law how the Lord God commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. So they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in the cities of, and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the hills, bring olive branches, wild olive branches, and myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. You see, these, as we're going to see, are the leaders of the heads of the households, uh, of, the, of, the, of the fathers. Uh, they're the Levites, the priests. They're the religious leaders in a sense. The first day was the first day of the month, a couple days after the finishing of the wall. That was the day before. Everything in verses 1 to 12 is the first day of the seventh month. And then we have on the, the second day this portion here where these leaders went to Ezra to gain insight into the word of God. And that gives us a principle. You know, yes, you're going to hear this sermon here, but you might hear things that, you, that I haven't explained. You want to go and look it up. You want to look into it. You want to gain insight. It shouldn't stop here at the end of the message. It shouldn't be as though I'm done preaching and your Bible's shut and it doesn't open until Bible study. We should be in the Word of God desiring to be changed by the God of the Word. And so we see that. And I mentioned last week we went through Ezekiel 33 and we saw that there are those... Uh, who delight in God's word, but yet don't obey it. We saw those who claim God's promises, but yet don't obey it. And they're both heading to judgment, knowing that uh, and they will know that, that's the, that, that, the, that, he's, that he's the Lord. And with that, uh, we see that their hearts weren't changed. They heard the word of God. And we should come to the word of God expecting God to command us as we'll see, to, 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 to give us insight and wisdom into what his will is that we, by his power and strength, would obey it. You see, sadly, many listening to biblical sermons, a lot of unbiblical ones, but biblical ones, at the end of the message, that's it. Uh, they're merely hearers who delude themselves. We read that passage earlier in James chapter 1, and I'll read a part of it again. James 1.21, therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted. There's a, there's a principle. Confess sin, put it aside, and then receive God's word. It says it, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. There are those who are deluded, or you could say deceived is a better way to translate this also. They hear the word, they think it's they're, 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 they're all right, they're doing well, and, but they're deluding themselves. Because as we see here, it doesn't change their lives. It doesn't make any change in their lives where they do what they've heard. Jesus would say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And so here we see those who don't allow the word to abide in their hearts. And they are those who hear the word. They're convicted. It's like they see themselves in a mirror. They see themselves rightly. They, see the, they have conviction. And they walk away afterwards. They completely forget what kind of person they really are. And that's a deluded hearer. And we don't want to be that way. And I, maybe some listening or some hear, uh, hear the word and walk away uh, truly deluding yourself that you've really understood and, and you've got it when it doesn't change your heart at all. It doesn't change your life. 
You hear about how husbands are to live with their wives in an understanding way. And, 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 and you walk out and you scream at your wife the first thing you do out the door. Or wives being submissive and, you know, I'm just giving you some examples. What happened? Now, yes, we are sinful and we make mistakes and God's word convicts us. But I'm saying here is that God's word, when we hear it, should make a change. It should change us. It should change us, as we'll say. So notice in our passage, back to uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 13. Then on the second day, the heads of the father's households, all the people and the priests and the Levites were gathered to Ezra, the scribe, that they might gain insight into the words of the law. This, again, is the second day. Chapter one, spe- chapter 8, verse 2 speaks of the first day of the seventh month. Uh, this is the, the month that we see, like I told you, the first day would be that trumpets. Um, and later on, as they're going to see on the 15th of the month for seven days, there's to be the Feast of Booths. And they're going to read it, and they're going to go, wow, we haven't been doing this. And we need to obey, and we're going to see that. So on the second day, they gather to hear the word uh, being taught from Ezra. And remember, Ezra was a good guy. He set his heart uh, to study the word and to do it and then to teach it to God's people. He was a good guy. He was a good guy. And they went to Ezra and they went to Ezra to gain insight. This term, the heads of the fathers or the or the, the, the prime or, 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 or the, the leaders of the fathers spoke of those who were family leaders or even tribal leaders in a sense. And then you have the term priests and, and Levites. And so these were the leaders and they wanted to hear more of the word of God. They wanted to hear more. When we leave here, we should want to know more. We should want to hear more of the word. The next day, they want to hear it, and they go to Ezra, and they go to Ezra. Now, I'm not expecting you to knock on my door on Monday, but uh, the reality is we should desire to be in the word of God. We should go out. It shouldn't be that we're satisfied and this is it. We should have a hunger and thirst for it, and it should be working in our hearts, the Lord, through his word. So we have them doing this. And Ezra, he was the Lord's man. He's a good guy, as I mentioned. And so here they gathered that they might gain insight. Again, it's that word we've seen throughout understanding or or insight. It's that word uh, that they might get it, that they might get it. And their reason to get it was to do it. You know, if the word is just some type of a little academic exercise for you, then that's a problem. We read God's word because it's God's word, and we want to know what his desire is for us. And we want to then do what he wants us to do by his power and strength as we trust and abide in Jesus Christ. You see, it's all through abiding in him. You know, if you look, take a look, actually, let's turn it to Psalm 119. And you see the heart of someone who wants to be taught. The heart of someone who wants to be taught so that they would become more like the Lord, as we see one who understands that it's through the Word of God that this happens. Let's go to Psalm 119, and I'm going to start in verse 9. In verse 9, some of these verses are familiar, and it's good to read them together, to see them together. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. There's some advice, young men. There's advice. Um, how do you keep your way pure? Keep it according to God's word and notice what he says with all my heart i have sought thee it's a real relationship do not let me wander from thy commandments i I know i can fall lord don't let me wander right thy word i have treasured in my heart that i might not sin against thee 
This is important. Blessed art thou, O Lord, and listen to this, teach me thy statutes. When we come to the word of God personally or corporately, we need to be praying in our heart of hearts in a sense, Lord God, help me understand your word. Teach me your word. Teach me your statutes. And he says here, with my lips I have told of all thy ordinances of of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on thy precepts and and regard thy ways. I shall delight in thy statutes. I shall not forget thy word. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I might live and keep thy word. Open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from thy law. Tremendous heart attitude. That's a heart attitude of someone who desires to have God change his heart through his word. And that's what we should desire. And we should come expecting God to command us, as we'll see. Expecting God to give us his, his commands and his desire so that we would know what to do. We'll see that a little, we'll see that a little later. So then, uh, they went, came to, uh, Ezra to gain insight to the words of the law. And then notice, they sought it and they found it. By the way, if you come to the word of God with a right heart, you seek the Lord, obviously in salvation you'll find him, but you seek him, you seek a desire to understand his word, Notice they found it, verse 14. And they found written in the law of the Lord how the, how the Lord had commanded, written in the law, excuse me, how the Lord had commanded through Moses. By the way, God gave his word, and he inspired human writers to bring forth his word. No prophecy of scripture is of one's matter of one's own interpretation, but men moved by the Spirit spoke from God. Moses brought forth God's word. The Lord, he says here, the Lord through uh, how he commanded through, through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. Now we're all saying, well, I know what that is. That's that's in Leviticus. Well, I don't think they had uh, verse numbers specifically. Those were given later. They're going through the the scrolls. They're looking at the Word of God, and they found this. They found it certainly in what we call Leviticus, and so they found this. They found this truth. Uh, they desired to know what God had to say, and they found it. And God led them to something they had not been obeying. And specifically, as we'll see, that Israel had not obeyed as a nation since Joshua. Pretty amazing if you think about it. And there's a principle here. Keep seeking to understand God's word, asking him to give you wisdom. Teach me thy statutes, O Lord. You know, God is a good God. You ask for uh, bread, he's not going to give you a stone. You ask him to help you understand his word, he will do that. He is a good God. And so they found this, and it's in Leviticus as we see it. And you can turn it to Leviticus 23. They found this portion. And the first half concerning the Feast of Booth talks about the, the sacrifices that go on during this time. And those are symbolic, pointing to what Christ would do ultimately, as we say. Leviticus 23:34. Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, On the 15th of the seventh month. I bet they were gasping for air when they read that. It's, it's the second of the seventh month. And it's on the 15th, right? Whoa, that's coming up. Wow, isn't God great? Uh, he says, seventh month is the feast of booths for seven days to the Lord. To the Lord. It's always to the Lord. It's not a ritual. It's to the Lord. And they were, they were reading uh, that, that, it ha- that this had to be done in, thir- in, t- in 13 days. 
It was the second second day of the month. And then notice he says here on exactly. Let's go down to um, let's go down to uh, uh, verse uh, thirty nine. I think it is here. Um, basically, you, you see the sacrifices, and then uh, down he gives the specifics that we'll see in our passage. Uh, verse 39, on exactly the fifth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the crops of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days with a rest on the first day and a rest on the eighth day. Now on the first day, you shall make for yourselves uh, the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches uh, and burrows of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Look at that. Isn't that great? And thus you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days uh, in the year, and it shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. Well, we're going to see it didn't turn out to be that way. They, they weren't obeying this. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall live in booths. That speaks of these little foliage tents, that these temporary dwellings, for seven days, all and all the native-born in Israel shall live in booths, so that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I bought when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the sons of Israel uh, the appointed times of the Lord. And so we have the reason to do this that they would know He's the Lord their God who took them, brought them out of Egypt. But what's interesting, along with that, it also reveals their sinfulness. Uh, they should have only lived in booths about 11 days. That's how long it takes to get from Sinai to the land. And they sinned, and God laid them low in the wilderness. He had them wander for 40 years. And they lived in booths after they were delivered from, from Egypt. But it's also to be a joyful time. Altogether, Deuteronomy 16:15, to be altogether joyful celebrating what God had done, delivering them, delivering them out of Egypt. And we're going to see, actually, even later on in, uh, in uh, as, it's Ezekiel, actually, I think it is, uh, or excuse me, in, in Zechariah, it's not Ezekiel, in Zechariah chapter 14, it talks about celebrating the Feast of Booth later on. You see, in the millennium, we look back to what Christ uh, did there. They looked forward to it. Christ fulfilled all those Old Testament shadows uh, through what he did in his death and burial and resurrection. He fulfilled all of them, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And yet we will still celebrate and look back. You'll see that later on in, in Zechariah chapter 14 in the millennium. So here, these Jews are to celebrate this. And then we see here, uh, they sought the word of God and they found it. And they obeyed it. Look at verse 15. So they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the hills and bring olive branches and wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches and branches and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. As it is written. They obeyed the word of God. They put out a proclamation to do what God had said, to do what he had said. They gained insight that they might obey. We come to God's word not as an intellectual challenge, but to understand what his desire is for us, to be, as we see in Second uh, Timothy 3, to be taught, to be convicted, to be corrected, to be trained in righteousness, 
that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work. We see that. Uh, think about the Great Commission. And I'll read this for you, uh, Matthew 28. And Jesus came up and spoke to them. Those were those who were who we had appointed to see after he had r- risen from the dead. All authority has been given to me on heaven, in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, literally in your going, make disciples. That's the main verb. And then there's two participles of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You don't make a disciple someone who isn't saved. And then secondly, teaching them to observe or obey all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We're to be taught to obey all that the Lord has commanded us. And by the way, you can spot a true believer. I'm not talking about externalism. The Jews looked like they were pretty good on the outside, but the inside was 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 horribly uh, horribly dirty. They were not saved. Those those Pharisees. But you can tell if someone's saved by and large if they obey the Lord. They obey the Lord. Turn to First John chapter two. And this is not my opinion. It's God's God's word. And I love this portion because in 1 John 1, it talks about the confessors of sin. It talks about those who, who are the confessors of sin. You see, um, if we say we have no sin, we're liars. We do sin. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful. And the, the tense is, if we're continually habitually confessing our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we're the confessors of sin, it's an evidence that we're saved and we are cleansed and in his blood. And then he goes on and says, but if anyone sins, chapter 2, verse 1, uh, or he says, these things have been written that you may not sin, but if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, right? Tremendous reality. And then look at uh, verse 3, 1 John 2. And by this we know that we have come to know him. Do you want to know if you've come to know Jesus? Here you go. If we keep his commandments. Now, it's not the Ten Commandments. This is the word is ontally. It's not the law. It's, a, it's his commands. It's just like we saw in Matthew, right? To observe all that he's commanded. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. And he's going to make the case in First John that a love for our brothers and sisters is that primary reality. For, first for the Lord, but then for our brothers and sisters. And so then, um, if you truly have faith, we see like in chapter 2 of James, it's going to work. Not perfectly, because we're sinful and God is conforming us to the image of Christ, but we're going to be convicted of our sin. And we're going to be corrected and changed and trained. And so, we need to come to the word with an expectation of how we are to live and how we're to respond. And I think sometimes we don't do that. We come to church, we kind of observe, we walk out. We need to come to the word. What does God want me to do? And then we trust him to do it through us. We don't do it on our own strength. We abide in Christ and trust him. And notice, the leaders proclaimed what they were to do, and the entire assembly obeyed. This is miraculous in a sense, right? Uh, look at verse 16, back in our passage in Nehemiah uh, chapter 8. So the people went out and brought and brought them brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his own roof, in their courts, in the courts of the house of God, in the square of the water gate, we saw that earlier, and in the square of the gate of Ephraim. 
and the entire assembly of those who had returned from captivity. This is everyone who had come from Babylon. Everyone. The entire assembly uh, and made booths and lived in them. The sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day. And there was great rejoicing. You want to see a happy Christian? You see a Christian who's obeying the Lord. Yes, we fail, but we confess it and we turn and obey him. Happy Christian. You want to see a miserable Christian? Somebody who's not dealing with sin. Someone who's not living in obedience. We all know that. We've all been there. And then we trust the Lord, we obey, and we confess, knowing we're forgiven, stepping out of faith. Yes, we grieve over it, but it should morph to thankfulness for the forgiveness we have. And there was great rejoicing. The reality is we see sporadic portions where they did celebrate this back in the Old Testament, but it was never the whole assembly. It was never everyone in Israel celebrating this. The next time we'll see it later on is in the millennium when all the Jews who were saved in the tribulation, we see at the end, they're going to celebrate this also. And I had that passage for you in Zechariah, but ultimately it's worship of the Lord. It's worship of the Lord. This is not just simply a a, a mechanical celebration. There were sacrifices that pointed to what Christ would do, and they will point back to what he has done. And it is, in this context, worship. And there was great rejoicing. Great rejoicing. Again, there's no better place to be than in obedience to the Lord and his word, it brings joy. You know, it's interesting. You see that in a small picture with your children, right? They get caught, they get spanked, you know, they, they, their hearts get addressed, and then they obey, and you see little happy kids. You see that. And it's no different with us. As we obey the Lord, he gives us joy. Through the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. We see that, that joy. So then, and I did have the Zechariah passage, actually. Uh, Zechariah, turn to Zechariah chapter 14. I thought I had it in my other notes. Uh, Zechariah 14, 16. And this is speaking of after, if you look at the context, it's after the Lord has come. Uh, it's, it's at the end of the tribulation. He comes, defeats his enemies. Um, and then this is after that. And I believe it's in the millennium. That's my, my belief. Uh, Zechariah 14, 16. Then it will come about... When any who are left of all the nations that went up against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king. Notice that. Uh, the, uh, uh, the Lord of hosts and to celebrate the feasts. Abus. Isn't that interesting? It it's it's, it's really points to his deliverance from our sin. They were delivered from Egypt, a picture. It points to the reality of the sacrifices that he brought forth, the harvest also. So many things there is to worship the Lord. It's to worship the Lord. Tremendous reality. Now, should we go out and celebrate the Feast of Booths? No, we're not Jews. Uh, Christ has fulfilled those things. And we look back at those things and we see the fulfillment and we worship Christ. But the point is they looked to obey the word. They found it and they obeyed. And then look, as we finish up, look at verse 18. Verse 18, back in Nehemiah chapter 8. And he read from the book of the law of God daily. He would be Ezra here. Wow, it wasn't over. The word was part of their, you know, when you're walking with the Lord, the word is in your, in your life, right? You want to hear the word, you get it, you're in it. When you're not walking with the Lord, it's pushed to the side, right? We know that, I think it was Moody or somebody said, you know, this book will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from this book. 
just like what we saw in, in 1 John 2. They read the word of the Lord God, law, law of God daily. Daily. They're focused on, on God's word. Tremendous. From the first day to the last. That's in that feast time, from the 15th of the month to the 22nd. And they celebrated the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. They obeyed the Lord. Isn't that great? And I hope you've heard something that maybe you haven't heard before, and it has motivated you to go out and obey God in these areas in that word. And you want to get into the word of God and obey him. So how is it we are to be restored? How is it that our lives, when they are in spiritual shambles, are to be, be restored and built up? When the walls of our, of our walk with Christ are broken down and the doors are wide open to sin and the, they've been burned up with the wreckage of our choices, well, obviously we need to confess and he'll forgive us. But we need to get back into and have a desire to be in the word of God. And we need to come to God's word with the right heart, desiring to be taught. And we need to be taught by those God has placed in the body to equip us for the works of service, those who are faithful to him and his word. And then we need to come to it, the word, with a heart to obey it. With a heart to obey it. A heart to do what we have heard. And then you're going to have, and you'll see, extreme joy. And all the while, keep on learning. They came back to the Word the second day. They read it every day during the feast to stay in the Word of God. Because, as I mentioned before, God uses his Word to build us up. It's how he called us into a relationship with himself. We're born again through the living and abiding Word of God. And he uses it to grow us in respect to salvation. I'm not talking about a a legalistic view of worship of God's word, but a worship of the living God, knowing he uses his word by his spirit to change us and conform us into the image of his son. And so I ask you, where are you today? Are you like those who hear God's word every Sunday or Wednesday or whenever it is, and you walk away and you forget the conviction that you had when you were there? and you're just right back to where you were, you immediately forget, and you do the same things you did before, you're not changed, and heart isn't changed, well, I'd encourage you to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Or maybe you are, and their spiritual walls are broken down. You need to confess your sin. You need to yearn for God's word. You need to allow him, through his word, with a right heart towards him and his word, to change you with the desire to obey what he says. We need to come to God's word looking for what he is teaching that we might observe, that we might obey. That's the great commission. Baptizing and teaching that they might observe all that he did and said, we see. And so with that in mind, how are you doing? Well, I want to finish with this one passage. You can turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And you might recognize this portion. It is a parallel portion with Matthew 7, the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 46. This is the Lord Jesus speaking. He says, And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? That's a pretty simple question. And I lay that question from God's word before any one of you that it may apply to. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and what? Acts upon them. 
I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation upon the rock. And when the flood rose, the torrent burst, the torrent burst against that house and it could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who's heard and has not acted accordingly is like the man who built a house upon the ground without a found, any foundation and the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed and the ruin of that house was great. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? If he is your Lord, it should be our desire to do what he says. And we need to look and find it in his word, and we will. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the example of these uh, Jews who sought to understand your word, who sought to obey it, Lord. And may we have that same heart. Lord, if our hearts have been hardened through our own will and desires and sin, Lord, I pray we would confess and you would, we know you will forgive us. And I pray with clean hearts we would seek you and your will from your word that we might obey um, by your power and strength so that you'd be greatly magnified as we abide in your son Jesus. So thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.